It's almost midnight on the highest paved mountain pass in the French Pyrenees. 20 hours of riding, 200 miles, grinding up unrelenting climbs. This could be the day that this cyclist calls it quits. Each pedal stroke is excruciating, and the lack of sleep is starting to play tricks on his mind. He must stay awake or risk riding off the road and then falling thousands of feet into the steep valley below. You, I couldn't go back. You just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to just live. Just even deeper. is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That I. was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Coggan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to tick it before you kick it. Meet Ben Cornell. I refer to him as my wingman. He rode his bike with me across America in 2009 and then agreed to join me on another crazy adventure five years later when we retraced the 1928 Tour de France, riding original 1928 bikes that weighed twice as much as a modern bike, had no gears, and marginal brakes. An average of 150 miles a day over 22 days. Ben's an out-and-out bucket guy. Up for anything, and always ready for a life-changing challenge. Ben's a physical therapist and pretty impressive athlete. He's finished four Ironman competitions, got up on the morning of his 40th birthday and ran 40 miles, and five years later repeated the stunt by running 45 kilometers on his 45th. Just recently, he completed 46 miles in the Grand Canyon, running rim-to-rim and then rim-to-rim again, in 100-degree heat. My buddy Ben is not one to brag. When I asked him about joining me on my podcast, he said, I'm not an astronaut, big wave surfer, National Geographic explorer, undercover journalist, or sports model, to which I said, no, that's true, but you do share the same amazing qualities. You ditch the excuses, and you see obstacles as opportunities. And here we go. Ben Cornell, Santa Monica, 2018. Let's go into that moment, that night that we spent together up in the Pyrenees, up climbing up Tourmalet. In the dark. In the dark. Tired. Exhausted. Fatigued. Can't stay awake. All we both knew was that we were beyond tired. I think both of us were literally nodding off on the bike. I know that my eyes were closing. I'd feel my head drop a little bit, and I'm thinking, I'm about to fall asleep. And... I had that moment where I said, I think if I stand up, if I stand up pedaling, I probably can't sleep. I think if I'm sitting down, I could actually fall asleep. And so I think I had mentioned that to you and you said, yeah, I think I'm falling asleep too. Yeah, I I just remember the the 3K to go sign and thinking, I'm not sure, like 3Ks at that point just felt like 300. Yeah, was, we were so tapped at that point. Yeah, that and I just said it was complete darkness. And so in terms of distance, it was hard to even tell what distance was. We could, yeah, we'd, we'd cross those markers. But it's one thing when you can see where you're going. We had no idea. We knew we were going up and up and up. But we had no idea what that looked like. Is it going to get steep? Is it yeah. turning? It was just, just riding in the blackness. <laughs> I, I don't know how fast we were going, but I do remember weaving like a what they call that that post postman climbing you know we're just weaving to try to take some of the sting out of the out of the steepness on the in the road uh but 
Yeah, thank, thankfully you were there with me because I think that would be the worst thing to go through by yourself. Yeah, without I, having somebody there. Yeah, I can't imagine. I think it, it, it was hard enough having you having you there next to me. I, I think the the blessing was that you and I both knew we needed to do it, and I yeah. think being alone it would have provided a little bit more opportunity to say, eh, maybe I could sneak out of this. But at the same time, I, I think much of that we were. Other than a, the couple conversations, I think it was pretty silent, and I think we were both pretty deep in our minds at that point in time trying to figure it out. Somebody said to me, uh, and I wanted to ask you about this, but somebody said to me, did you ever feel like giving up? And I said, I think I was so determined to finish that I would have pushed myself so hard that I wouldn't have got to a place where I could even think of giving up. I would have just fallen off my bike. Yeah, and I, I think going into it, my thought, I didn't want to think about that. I, yeah. didn't, I, didn't even, I don't think I, I know I was scared about the whole thing and I yes. knew there was a definite possibility that we may not finish, but I didn't want to prepare my mind for what that might feel like. I think that was part of it. I think people have asked me the same thing and I said, no, there's never, there's plenty of times when we were fatigued. There was plenty yeah. of times where I probably didn't want to ride, but it never got to that point. It was actually someone said, what was your biggest disappointment? And I've told them, I said, my biggest disappointment was that I never got to that point in that ride where I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to go on. Cause I really thought we're going to get there. And it's like, what happens when you get to that spot where you have to make a decision where it's like that little whatever is in your ear saying you're done. I don't think either one of us would have let each other quit either because we knew we both knew or at least I knew how important it was for you to finish and I think you knew the same with me yeah exactly and and once we got on that schedule and and we were retracing the exact schedule the exact roads and once we knew that we were on that journey the further we went in the more invested we were I think we were both keeping each other accountable meaning there's no way that we would have allowed each other to give up yeah you know, yeah short of us falling over and breaking a collarbone and even then, I know from your past, you've ridden in races where you had a, a broken wrist, a right? A broken hand, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it would have taken a lot, I think, to, to stop us. Yeah, and I think that's why neither one of us until this point <laughs> ever discussed it. Yeah. It, why, why discuss something that's, that's not planned? It's interesting that for those people who have seen Laride, that that's one of the first questions they asked. If, you know, did you ever think about giving up? And, and I said, no, we said we had so much invested. It wasn't just our pride that we, we, we had invested. It was, it was this team that we were with. It was the fact that we had so much financially invested, sweat equity, months of planning, all the training. I, I, there was a lot at stake. You know? Yeah, and I, I think that, that was my point on day one when your bike was falling apart that yeah. I, I kept having to remind you, like, should we be finishing this day? I said, you know, no one wants to watch Ben ride around France. We need you to stay healthy enough. And, you know, you fall down and break something or break your head. We can't do this. And yeah. it was like from, from day one, it's like, we got to get to the finish. Yeah. The day before, just tensions were rising. People seemed to be a little bit short with one another. I remember... Your, your dad had made a turn kind of into the wrong lane and I was thinking that's, that's the side of the road that he normally drives on and I was thinking his brain must be fatigued because he, he turned the wrong way and yeah, just people were getting really short with one another and I thought, you know what, you, know, you and I have trained for it. As I said, you know, I, I said it in the film, you, you and I trained for it and the rest of them weren't used to being awake that long or sitting in a car that, I can't imagine sitting in a car that well, long. Well, it's, it's a great line of yours in the movie where you say, you know, Phil and I had trained for this, 
but nobody had got in a car to see what their, how their bodies would respond after driving at 17 miles an hour, hour after hour after hour. And I thought that was, that was really, you know, it made me think about it too, because again, we were just thinking about what we would have to go through physically, but we forgot that just because they weren't physically exerting themselves mentally, yeah, and I think, I mean, that's the amazing thing about that entire crew. The, the mental toughness of, you know, people keep wanting to comment about us, mm. but the mental toughness of Scott sitting on a motorcycle backwards and, and for all those hours, yeah. for Greg to be holding the throttle for all those hours, for your dad and Andrew to be driving, for Doug to be up all night and editing. And, 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 editing, and for your mom to be squished in the back of this little tiny car knitting for hours on end, even though I'm sure she enjoyed her knitting. But, and Yuri. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Yuri providing his... <laughs> A former tank commander from in the Israeli uh, yeah, it's like for for them for them to only mentally crack once in that entire time. It was amazing. It was it was mental fortitude for the entire crew. The whole idea of uh, of pushing your body is it's something you've done your whole life. Way before I met you, obviously you you're an Ironman. We've done four Ironman. Four Ironman races, yeah. Four Ironman races. And for those people who don't know, Ironman is 180K on the bike. Well, it starts with the swimming, yeah, right? Yeah, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and followed by 26.2 marathon. Okay, so it's hard enough for people to run a marathon. You put the bike ride and the swimming on there we as well. A little warm up ahead of time. Yeah. Do you have a tattoo? I never asked you that. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, 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 don't do, I don't do events for tattoos or trophies or things okay. like that. It's a, I got a tattoo in my brain that reminds me of what I did, so I'm good with that. So why is it that Ben Cornell pushes himself to want to take on challenges. What, what is it about pushing yourself? Because you've done it all your life, the Ironman, and then yeah. years ago you and I rode across America together. So what appeals? Yeah, I, I think there's just something about, and I don't know if I always think of it. I think it, it, it tends to be other people's ideas. And I go, oh, that sounds interesting. And I, I like when people say, is that possible? Mm. Because when someone says, is that possible? Then I say, it's worth, it's worth a try. And I remember being you know, maybe six years old and wondering if I could you know, run, I think it was my, from my grandfather's house home. It might have only been a mile, but I was like, wonder if I can do it. And so I went out and ran a mile. And so I think that, that's one thing that pushes me. I think the other thing is, is I, I tend to hang out with people who do things way bigger than I do. And so for me, it's like people go, oh, wow, you run a marathon. You've done you know, an, an Ironman. You know, every Sunday I run with you know, my buddy Lucas. He's, he's done three or four hundred mile running races. So for me, you know, my 40 miles to his hundred is like someone coming up to me and saying they run a 10K to my, right. to my marathon. I mean, it's, so, I, so I'm, you're inspired firm, by I'm a firm, who... yeah, I'm a firm believer in spending time with people who dream bigger than me, think bigger than me, who are smarter than me, who are better athletes than me. I think there's only one way to get better and that's by, by hanging out with those. For those people who don't know, tell us what you do for a living. So I'm a, I'm a physical therapist by training. I was a clinician for 17 years, and then um, I've, I've taught for the last 15 at Mount St. Mary's University in Los Angeles, and in January I left clinical practice to become a full-time faculty member there. Now, we've been friends for how long? Uh, more than 10 years. So do I have to call you Dr. Cornell when you finish your PhD? No, no, no. And no I can no, still call no, you Ben? Yeah, just, just once, and then after that we're done. Yeah, oh, just right. once? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you'll let me come to your graduation? Sure. I'd yeah. like to do that. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm interested in, first of all, I know why, and I'll tell you in a second, why I asked you to be part of my adventures riding across America and going around France, but I'm interested in why you said yes. 
I, 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 you know, off the back of your answer before about wanting to yeah. do new and different things, but clearly you didn't, neither one of us really knew what we were getting into, but you didn't hesitate. You said yes, and I'm just interested in why you said I, I, yes so quickly. I, because I think two things. One is I've learned in time to to sometimes do the opposite of what my brain says. So I'm sure, I think when the first time you said that, what, in my brain I said, now this, this sounds stupid. And it's like, so, <laughs> so if this sounds stupid, then I probably should do it because it's probably fear that's talking to me and saying no, or it's the fear of the unknown that, that's making me get there. And so I, I think, especially with the first one, cause that was like, okay, this is somewhat new. It's like- Can you um, remember when I asked you for, to ride across America with me? I mean, it was, yeah. we rode in 2009, but do you remember the first conversation about it? I remember it? you talking about it and said, hey, you know, do you think you might want to join me for a few days just, you know, to, just to kind of get me, get me going in the right direction? And, and I, I remember thinking about it and talking about it with Louise and thinking, okay, this sounds like a somewhat fun idea. It sounds like I'm not sure if we can do it, but I'm willing to give it a try. And so, so I think, you know, when you brought up France, it, as, as much as it was way bigger in so many ways, mileage days on the bikes heavy that we were riding bikes. heavy steel bikes but but in my head it seemed a little bit more manageable but it was still one of those like this sounds like it might not be possible which then what does my brain say no what does my mouth say let's give it a try because like i said what motivates me is those things where it's like is it possible it's like well there's only one way to find out is you, you do it and what's the worst what's the worst you find out it's not possible but to me that's way better to find it out by doing it yeah. than to limit myself and not even go to that point to see what see what the potential is well i, I said in the film and i really mean it I, when i was thinking about who am i going to take with me i had to think really carefully about that because i knew there would be a moment like the death stage ride where we would have been 20 hours in where we'd be exhausted and i needed to know that i could have somebody who could take their mind to that place of just absolute, whew, just completely gutted of everything, but still just not even thinking about giving up. And that was you. Yeah. And um, so I never ever for one moment doubted that you wouldn't be there. Like I, I knew that I would find you in a ditch if it, if you were gonna have, uh, you know, not be able to make it. It yeah. would, have, would have nothing to do with your mental strength. It would be that you would literally ride yourself off into a ditch and just be maybe out. Yeah, and I, and, and I think I felt the exact same way. I mean, I think if you want to go back to the ride across America, I, I think the moment that still sticks in my mind that I don't want to say is I feel ashamed about, but it's still my biggest regret was the day I stepped off the bike because it, I was getting completely blown off the road. And it was this moment, it took a long time in my brain to go, what do I do here? And a big part of it was, you know, Julie, my wife was there riding with us and she was just getting battered and yeah. talk about people who are mentally tough. She, I knew she would not get off the bike if I didn't get off the bike and I wanted her to, and I wanted to stay. And there, you know, there's that moment where I had to, it's like, who do I choose at this point in time and, yeah. and, and getting off. And I mean, ever since then, it was like, I remember as soon as you asked me about the France thing, that popped in my mind. I'm like, that will not happen today. I'm like, Phil will quit before I do. Not that I thought you would, but I'm like, there's no way. There's not going to be a moment in this movie where people see me giving up because that's not who I am. Right. And just for those people who don't know, so we were leaving Fair Play. Fair Play, day, yeah. right? So we were leaving Fair Play, and if I'm not mistaken, it was around 18, 17, 18 degrees yeah, or free, something. Yeah. Terrible wind chill. Yeah. We got out onto the straight road. Uh, as you said, Julie was there, Louise, my wife, was there, and we're riding down the road, and the wind was so strong that we were all leaning over. Yeah, it was a just total crosswind. And then worse than that was the, 
the wind gusts, which could easily have just pushed us right across the other side of the yeah. road, and there were these 18-wheelers. The only reason, in my mind, that I remember you having to, uh, to get off the bike was I was 20 pounds heavier than you, so I had that extra weight to be able to hold the bike on the road. And, and you being lighter, physically, I mean, you just didn't have mm. the weight to stay on the road. I appreciate the excuse, but it still doesn't. It still doesn't make me feel better about it. But <laughs> well, no, but I mean, it yeah. was one of those days. And yeah. I remember having to ride. Yeah, the bike I mean, it was tough. Angle. Yeah, because we're leaning, and all of a sudden the wind would disappear, and, and then you just go flying. You just go, yeah, you just we'd go right across the the other side of the road. A mm -hmm. um, couple of cool things that I know you've done in your life. You turned forty. What'd you do? I uh, ran forty miles. Okay, and you hadn't really trained, had you? Yeah, I mean, I'd been training for a marathon, but I mean, I'd probably run long run before that. It was you know, 21, okay. 22 miles. So, yeah. When you got to forty-five, what'd you do? Uh, well, I, I wasn't in as good a shape, so I went 45K instead, oh, okay. instead of 45 miles. But So you went in Yeah, yeah. 50 is getting closer. Hopefully, it'll be 50 miles, not 50 minutes. But well, Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're a modern man. And then, and then not too long ago, you did this run in the Grand Canyon. And I'm interested in hearing about that. It sounds like a really life-changing experience. So yeah. how does it work? So what, what a lot of the ultra runners do is they go rim to rim to rim. So they start on one rim run across to the other side and back in the same day. We decided to do it, to do it over two well, days. Explain so, how that works. So you go down and then up? Yep, so most people start on the south rim. It's the yeah. lower side, it's 6,800 feet. You run down, all the way down to the Colorado River, then up the other side to the north rim. So it's 24 miles across and then turn around and, and come back down. We, you, you sleep? Yeah, you, say, you sleep, yeah, so you sleep you, overnight and then you run a marathon back. Correct, yeah. yeah. So, um, and most people do it in April, May, or October because the temperatures are cool. They say don't, don't do it in June. We couldn't get accommodations until June. And so it was, you know, we started at 3.30 in the morning. It was already 90 plus degrees and it was topping out at mid 100s in the, in the middle of it. And so. Is this all supported? So there's like, I mean, do you have to carry your own hydration? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and because we were staying across the other side, we had to carry hydration, food, um, you know, clothes for the next day, things that we had. There, there are water, there, there is water available in, in the canyon, but um, you you're basically Yeah. There's a shuttle from one rim to the other. And so you can make reservations ahead of time if that's what you're planning to do. Because some people just, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty amazing, yeah, it's a pretty amazing accomplishment to make it across it. So you start at 6,800 feet, go down to the Colorado River, end up at, at 8,000 feet. Uh, it took us probably six and a half hours, you know, fast people. I mean, the, the record's about three. I don't know how that person did this it. This coming from a guy who can run a marathon in around three hours. Yeah, and running with guys who are good marathon runners. And again, my buddy who's done 100 mile races and it, it it was taking you know, six plus hours, but you can get to the other side and you can set up with the, with the shuttle company. Yep. And for you know, a smaller fee than it would cost you to be on the van, you can, you can get insurance. And that insurance is, it costs less, but it, it guarantees that if you decide you want to take the van across, you can. And you know, you know, I was talking to my buddies about it. I said, that, that, just, that, that gives you an out. If you do that ahead of time, it's, it's already preparing yourself. It already allows your brain to get to a point where if it gets rough, that you go, oh, you know what, but I have that insurance, so I, I, I guess I can take that. And for me, it was like, that's not an option. I'm not going to give, my, give myself a reason. You give yourself a reason, and then it makes it that much easier. And everything we're talking about here, you know, these, the, 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 uh, the Ironman that you've done, running across America, the France trip, this rim-to-rim -rim thing, it's all about suffering. And what, what, why, why, do you, why do you want to do it? Like some people would be like, what's wrong with this guy, Ben Cornell? Why is he pushing himself like that? 
I, I have some weird thing. In my, I, I really want to find out what that breaking point is. I, I want to know what that feels like. Where, you know, I, I can talk tough and say, yeah, you know, never, never quit. But maybe I've just never gotten close enough to that point. It's like, but what happens? And where, you know, when you get to that point where it's like, I honestly don't think I can go further. And, and do I stop? Or do I, I just take so. some time and no, I, and figure it out mentally? And but I, but I want to get to not not just where it's like I'm tired and I sure would be nice to quit right now. I mean, there, there's a difference between I would like to and I'm not sure if I could take another step. I'm not sure if I could do another pedal stroke. I don't know if I could you know climb one more step up this canyon, something. But I want to know what that is because I think in my career as a physical therapist in life, I, I see a lot of people who, who limit themselves and, and not everybody needs to run 100 miles or 40 miles or right across America. I think we, we all can set a limit beyond what we think. We can all have that thing in our head that says, I'm not sure if I can do that. So guess what? I'm gonna go and, go and do that. And so, you know, but for me, it's like, I wanna push it. I wanna see what that is. I'm not getting any younger. I, wanna, <laughs> I, need, I need to find it soon, but Do you think it's a, a way that just some people are just not wired to push themselves, that 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 some people are just predisposed with the ability to go way beyond where they think they can go mentally. Meaning, yeah. you must have met some people who are not willing to push themselves. I bet you've met, and I've, I know I've met them, incredible athletes who physically have incredible ability, but they just don't seem to have that extra do or die mindset to never give in. Yeah. And Where I, does that come from? Yeah, and I, and I don't, th I, I hope it doesn't come, come across I think it's a bad thing. It's something that, that I seek, and it's, but it's also something that I, again, with my students, with my, with my patients, that it's, yeah. I try to get them to that point, because I'm not sure with me. It's, it's something that's in, innate in me that makes yeah. me want to figure that out, and it's, and it's frustrating when I come across people who, you know, I think you said it in one of the films, you know, people who just want to be comfortable. And the, is there anything wrong with being comfortable? Comfortable's nice. It's, it's no big deal. But I think it's when you get beyond comfortable that you, you learn so much. You figure things out. You know what you're about. You know what you can handle. Do you think you get more enjoyment reflecting on the things that you've done or are you enjoying it in the moment? Maybe it's the knowing what it's going to feel like in when retrospect. When we're sitting there at dinner talking about what we yeah. did, when you know, to this day talking to the guys about, oh, remember this, and those stories where the, the pain fades over time and you remember yeah. all, all the great you stuff. You remember and, all the good stuff. Yeah, well, like I, in France, I, I felt, when I look back on that now, there are certain moments, poignant moments on that ride that, uh, that put a smile on my face. It, being in Pontalier with the mayor and yeah. drinking absinthe <laughs> with him and then riding with the local cyclists yeah. or you and I on top of the Col du Abyss with the meal. And yeah. um, oh, when we went for the swim that time at the oh, end of yeah. a really long day. Yeah. But those moments are the things that I remember. But the middle of the night suffering where time stood still and we were just pedaling over and over. Yeah. And yeah, the black road with the white line. Yeah, remember yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, it's all hypnotized. the same. Yeah, the best moment of that was the night when we jumped onto the freeway, and I think we had 20 miles to go to the hotel, and I was, it was, I was just fed up. I just I wanted to get to the hotel. I was just exhausted. I was like, it's another late night. And I just remember, I just put my eyes on the white line, and I just hammered as hard as I could. And I, I have no idea what it, how long it was or what was going on. And then all of a sudden, it was either you or Scott said, get off the road. And there's an off-ramp, and we get off. And, and I was like, What's, you know, what was good? why did you do that? And 
remember Scott saying, did you not notice all those cars that were like brushing past your shoulder and it was so unsafe there? And I said, I, I had zero recollection. All, all I remember was white line gets a hotel. I, you know, it was just let my mind, I was just, I needed to go to a place where it was just, there was one goal. Let me just yeah. get this done. Get it done. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me is I don't know if I will ever be as physically fit as I was from doing that ride. And I asked Laird Hamilton about this idea of getting older and knowing that your peak condition will never match your peak condition at a younger age. And how you reconcile that, how do you think about that? For me, I've, I've struggled with it at times because I keep thinking, I want to be able to get that fit again. But the reality is that I'm getting older. You know, there, yeah. there are certain physical limitations yeah. being older. Just wondering with you now, you've got a little daughter, yeah. you know, you're, you're going to be a professor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, how do, you, how do you think of that? I'm at the point now that when I get out of shape, I wonder, have I, am I ever now going to get back to, back to where I was? And right. Because so, I, I know it's a reality. And I, yeah. and I think, one, I think there, there, are, there are goals I can still accomplish. Yes. There, there's fewer ones that involve putting a number on. I think when we put a number on, then we have a time. So, oh, can I, run, can I run a marathon as fast as I did before? Maybe, maybe not. My, that peak may, may be gone. But can I run further? Just because I'm getting older, I can't run further. Yeah, there, there will be a day when things are going to change. And the guys I run with every Sunday, well, we run down San Vicente and well, I see like, you know, three older gentlemen who, who are walking and we, we, we smile at one another. Like, yeah, someday that's probably going to be us. It's, we'll call each other up and we're going to be meeting at Ocean in San Vicente and we're going to go for our two-mile walk and we'll have breakfast afterwards. And we'll right. say, yeah, the, the older we get, the better we were and, and hopefully have some stories. So, so hopefully the goals will, will change, but it will still be something where, you know, when I'm 60, maybe running 60. I, I don't know. Or maybe it's running 60, I run... 30 miles, and that's right. still better than most 60-year-olds. And so I think, I think comparing oneself to oneself is, is always a good thing and not looking beyond that. But and I think it's inevitable. We're, we're all, there, there's going to be a point where the peak has happened. And chances are, in many ways, physically, that, you know, that, that train has left the station. But I think there's, there's still thousands of ways I could still challenge myself to, to get that, that high or that challenge or that, that feeling. So. Well, I mean, it's a healthy attitude because Laird, said a quote that's really stuck with me, which was, never let your memories be bigger than your dreams. Yeah. What you do is you bring all that wisdom with you. With age comes wisdom. And even though physically you may not be a match for your younger self, yeah. you've got all of this, that yeah. mental toughness that you were talking about. And how can you use all of that to, to be better than your younger self in some ways? Yeah, I think, yeah, not getting caught up in the rearview mirror, but being aware of it. I, yeah, I, with my patients often it's the, they like to talk about well this happened and like, yeah it happened mm. it's not happening it's like so it's done let's move forward yeah. and i think yeah sometimes we can spend too much time staring in the rearview mirror and if we're staring in it then we're going to probably run into the wall in front of us versus taking a peek and letting that peek be that be be the wisdom but at the same time i'm going to i'm going to look forward to see what's out in front of me yeah and that's one just one of the threads that's come through all the people that i've talked to on the on the bucket podcast is is just that everybody seems to be looking forward all the time. That life is a gift and what's happened has happened. It's, you know, life is for the living, life is for what's happening ahead of us and the, and the now yeah. and just being in that rather than looking back and thinking, oh, I wish it was this and I wish it was that. Mm -hmm. It isn't anymore. Yeah. It's, 
That's behind you. Yeah, and depression is spending too much time in the past and anxiety is spending too much time in the future. It's like if we can live here now, then oh, we're not working. Say it again, I like so, that. So depression is spending too much time living in the past and anxiety is spending too much time living in the future. That's a good one. Yeah. Where'd you get that from? Yeah, somebody smarter than me came up with it. But yeah, I, I always think about it because it really That's is. A it's really like good if you're. Quote. You know, so, but if we, if we, you know, if we stay present, not that we don't want to look forward a little bit, but if we stay in the, in present, the present and not worry about what we can't control that's in front of us or what we can't control because it's already happened in the rearview mirror, like, you know, life gets a little bit easier then. So having a young daughter and being a father, obviously a big change in your life, yeah, having absolutely. a child, having the responsibility of a young human being yeah. who has this beautiful mind, has a wonderful future ahead of her. That lesson is a good one. Um, what are other things that you want to instill in her and also in your patients as far as getting the most out of life? I, I think it's a lot of the same themes of you know, dreaming big, you know, setting big goals, setting goals beyond what you, what you think. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think some of us, again, set those, those comfort goals. or you know, Some of the things that I learned in life, especially athletically, I remember in high school, I wanted to run uh, a quarter mile in under 50 seconds, and I ran 50.2. My first marathon, I said I wanted to run three hours, and I ran 303. Ironman, I wanted Sam Strong, by the way, in his first marathon <laughs> yeah, well, right. time, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, then, you know, my first Ironman, I wanted to break 10 hours, and I went 10.03, and I, I started thinking, I was like, I'm not setting my goals big enough. I'm setting to hit this thing. Right. And so what I need to do is I need to set my goals beyond what I want to do. And so when I went into the marathon that I did 255, I really wanted to break three, but I trained for 255 because I knew that that would give me that cushion. I didn't want to use that cushion. I didn't, and that was a good thing. I hit 255, but Rosalie, my daughter, it's like, she says, I want to do this. It's like, let's, let's challenge those goals. What, what do you think you really can do? Mavericks are people who do things that others don't think can be done. That's why they are mavericks. That's why we sent somebody to the moon. That's why somebody split the atom. That's why Sedman Hillary and Tenzing Norgay stood, you know, stood on top of Mount Everest, because these were things that people say couldn't be done. Yeah. And that's how humans are gonna survive. And it sounds to me like you're one of those people that really does believe in striving for what some people think is impossible. Yeah, that, that, that's the challenge. And what that, is that, that, that's the fun challenge. It's like, oh, I want somebody to tell me that. Don't you get frustrated by people saying, oh, I'm just being realistic? What, what does that mean? Yeah. I don't even know what realistic means. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, what, do, what do you think people are saying? Yeah, I don't, the, the Wright brothers weren't sitting around going, no, we should probably be realistic. Nobody else has flown before. Not well, gonna let's fly. Not, let's not try this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, being realistic, I, I mean, we, we, we create a measure of what is realistic. Yeah. Right, I mean, it, it, we don't know what is possible because there's still so many things that haven't been tried. Yeah, yeah I'm like you. I, I admire those people who can think of things. I go, how did you even think of that? Right. It's like, how did you think to come up with it? And not only do they, th they think it up, but they say, let's try to figure it out. You know, in, in, in the book now that I wrote, No Opportunity Wasted, one of the chapters is face your fear. And yeah. I always say to people, like, if you're scared of something, that's exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. And uh, I spoke to this amazing um, diver shark expert, Paul DeGilda, and there were two things that he was terrified of, sharks and public speaking. And interestingly, the two things that he does now for a living are dive with sharks and public speaking. Yeah. <laughs> he went towards it, and sometimes it's exactly where we should be going. We should be going to the things that scare us most. I I've noticed that you're very perceptive about people and there was something that you've, you've talked about some of the lessons that you've learned from your 
your patience. Yeah. What What is the sort of primary lesson you think you've learned? Uh, I think the big. I, I think a lot of it's the same. The same dream stuff. My my favorite patient of all time. He he was amazing. He you know he said to me he's like. Find something you love to do, then find someone who will pay you. And he loved basketball and he loved traveling. And so he went down to Columbia. He set up an almost like Peace Corps using basketball as a sport to, to talk and interact with one another. And he got paid for it. And it, it, really, like, it really stuck in my mind. And then I, I always get amazing relationship advice from if someone comes in and they bring their spouse in and they've been married over 50 years, there's not one of them that I don't ask, you know, what is the secret to success? And you, you get absolutely amazing answers from people. People are very candid and honest about, <laughs> about what it takes. So. What would you say is the, the, the secret to success? There's a couple in the room, again, they've been married over 50 years and the, the woman was sitting on the table and I said, so, you know, what's the secret to, you know, to being married over 50 years? And her husband's in the corner, and he, he stops, and he's like, I'll learn to shut up. And, and, so, I, I, and so it's another lesson I, I always share with my patients. I said, you know, listen more than talk. And, and listen, listen to hear the message. Don't listen. There's a term we use that, that I teach. It's called reactive listening, and that is you're listening to somebody preparing your response. And when you do that, you miss what they're, what they're truly saying. What they're really and so, saying. And so, so I, use, I always use that lesson with them of when that person's across from you and you're getting to know your patient, I think, it, it, you know, for me, it's patience, but it can be any conversation anywhere with, with anyone. It's taking that time, listen. What, what are they telling you? Shut up. Just shut up sometimes and you, you learn a whole lot. But if you're always thinking about the next thing, you, you miss parts or you're cutting people off and they never get to finish their story. My father-in-law says, you can't receive when you're transmitting. Yeah, same thing. It's kind of a good yeah, one, right? Yeah, awesome. I love it. <laughs> it's, right? I might steal it. It's a good one, right? <laughs> yeah. The other one that he says that I really like is, that's a very good answer to a different question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, Which I, really means that you're not listening to the question. Yeah. It's something else. You're, or you've got an agenda. You're, you're answering something else. Um, so, Ben, what are we going to do? As we get older here now and we uh, look at our next big adventure, we've ridden across America together. We've uh, retraced the 1928 Tour de France together on old 1928 <laughs> bicycles. What do you think? I mean, what are we going to do next? I'd like to do another adventure with you. Yeah, I don't know. Roll our wheelchairs across <laughs> across the street. Ben, do, we yeah. from, yeah, do we have to jump from? Do we have to jump from 4550 to yeah. wheelchairs? I mean, I can't yeah, we I mean, I, I, be fun to come up with, with an adventure that you get to come along with me. I know we you, things that we that have been mentioned before. He said you'd heard of people who've done seven marathons and seven continents in yeah. seven days. That that, Does that, that, appeal? that that totally appeals to me. And then I thought, okay, you know, do okay. we want do we want to do bikes? And maybe you're gonna have to teach me how to run, man. Okay. <laughs> no, we can run, okay. hike, power hike, whatever. You know, or a hundred or hundred mile rides for seven straight days on seven continents. If we want to do it on That'd bikes, be good. That'd be good. Yeah. let's do something epic. I don't think it's legal, but. Riding our bikes the entire Great Wall of China. I mean, it's like, let's go big. Marathon. There, there, there'd be fewer stories to tell because it'd just be like, and we're still on the wall. I, and like we're to, still on the yeah, wall. Yeah, we're still on the wall, yeah. <laughs> and we just ran into the, the Chinese government. We and, just yeah, ran into yeah. a wall. <laughs> yeah, um, so, maybe, I, so maybe there'd be no cameras. We, we could move a little bit quicker. Maybe, um, gosh, I mean, we could ride to the South Pole on the, bikes, like especially adaptive bikes with yeah, big, big spiky fat tires. tire bikes. Then we could have a barbecue at the South Pole. That would be a goodie. But you don't want to bring the cameras next time. You don't like the well, idea. Well, I mean, if we're going that big, I suppose we have to. Well, but. I mean, the great thing about it, Ben, is that when you bring a camera, then we have like a very expensive home 
video to show yeah. our journeys and you can show it to, to Zali and yeah. you know summer vacation look I at mean, this think about how cool it's going to be when your daughter gets older and she's able to watch these two films yeah. with you in it right yeah absolutely yeah she already does watch them daddy can watch your film again okay <laughs> uh, listen you can throw the ideas out anytime you want all right we'll do anything i'm in you you know what i'm gonna say we normally end with a few questions so a road trip i'm really interested in this one from you if you were to go on a road trip, long road trip, could be across America, could be across Australia, but you can take a car full of people with you, who would you take in the car with you? Uh, I, I think I'd go with the, the, the Maverick theme. Mm -hmm. and, and someone from the present, I think it'd be Elon Musk. Okay. That just finishes his biography. And again, just one of those people who thinks about what can't be done and says it can be done. Okay. Um, maybe Steve Jobs, you know, still, still kind of current. You know, Wright Brothers, Henry Ford, wow. you know, they were kind of ahead of themselves. Um, I think Laird used this one, but um, Da Vinci, I mean, the guy was coming up with helicopters when no one could even think about it. I just think that the conversation in the car of these dreamers and the people who didn't have the technology, hearing about the technology, and then what they would come up with based on, you know, that they could think of things that didn't exist when they were around, and then all of a sudden it's like, here's things that do exist, and, and where are they, you know, mention, where are they potentially going to take it? Imagine Elon Musk talking to uh, da, Vinci. da Vinci yeah. about, well, hey, listen, dude, I've got this computer thing. It's a magic machine, yeah. and, and I can render that for you, and we can check that out, and we can test the aerodynamics of that. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Means, yeah you would insane. just be listening, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's, yeah that, that's my point. I'm just sitting back in the, the Model X and just going... All right, you guys just keep going because this is intriguing. And then I mean, but and of course I'd bring self-driving yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd bring you though. Because oh, you I, would? Yeah, it's only. Well, fair. I don't even be listening, yeah, man. I'm that's okay, but it's only fair. You've taken uh, me on all these adventures. It's like if I'm going to have a cool adventure, you, listen, you're going to sit in the back with me too. I don't want you to give up a seat for me, but what you could do is just put me on Facetime. Okay, yeah. So we, then I'm in the car with you, all right, and I'm just yeah. listening in. However, yeah, but I, I just think it'd be so inspiring just to listen, listen to people again, the people who think about what's impossible and try to make it possible going to Mars. It's like, all right, Musk is just like, I had a dream as a kid. I wanted to go to Mars. So what does he decide to do? Figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and your last day on Earth, Ben, if you, if you knew that tomorrow was your last day on Earth, what yeah. would you want to do with uh, it? Uh, obviously, having a, a little one, I'd, I'd spend time with her. But I think there, there's another thing that it'd be far more selfish that I'd want to do for part of that day. And I think it comes from being at, at too many funerals and memorial services where people get up and say all these amazing things about the person who's no longer there. And I've often wondered, it's like, did they ever tell that person when they were alive what they mm -hmm. thought? And so there, there's part of me that was like, wouldn't it be cool to be able to have your, have your memorial service before you're gone, where you get to hear what people have to say. Yeah, it's very selfish, but at the same time, it's like, I often wonder, you, we throw a lot of pebbles in the pond and we don't know how far those ripples go. And those ripples may be long, beyond, long past where, where we are. So having my students and patients and family and friends come and be able to share that. And, and so, so, so part of it would be selfish for me. Part of it would be to have my you know, six-year-old, I'd film it, so then she'd have something so she'd always know what her dad was all about. But I think the flip side of that would be so that I, I could then tell each of those people what, you know, what, what the role was that they played. And, and I think it's important, especially as men, I think we don't always let each other know, like, what is that role and, and what did you do? And then again, then we're gone and standing up there going, yeah, so. He was a nice guy. I, I, I sure appreciate Phil. I love, you know, I love, and so this is what I'm telling you. It's like, you know, I, 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 I love our friendship. I love that you've included me in, 
your adventures and that you continue to and that we have this friendship where we can see each other every day and laugh and be real with one another and I could not see you for three months and I don't get my up. feelings hurt and it's just I know you're busy and then we get back together again and it's we're friends again yeah. and, and I think that's you know that's an amazing thing I think we all need to be telling each other that yeah well frequently. the feeling is the feeling is mutual and um, you know I I can count on one hand people that I know I could call at any point in time and say, listen, I need you to fly to the other side of the world. I need you with me now. You know, it's mm -hmm. really important. And you're on that list because um, I know you would do it. Um, you'd drop everything and be there. Mm -hmm. And so that means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I Thank you, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Yeah. You can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com. And let me know what's on your bucket list. You never know. You might be my next guest. Don't forget, ticket before you kick it. <laughs>